This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. At this time, I would like to invite um, Deborah Reiner to the podium for closing remarks on this great day. Ms. Reiner is the Chief Economist for the American Chamber of Commerce of Mexico. Prior to joining the chamber, she was Vice President of Bankers Trust Company and has been a guest scholar at several international organizations. She writes extensively on the Mexican economy and speaks regularly to businesses and professional groups. Thank you. Thank you. I think we'll all agree that it has been a fascinating and thought-provoking um, day. We've looked at what's happened in the past, and we've, we've talked a bit about what the future might look like. Um, I did not speak with Gordon before I wrote this presentation, but I think the metaphor does hold. What we've seen today and heard about today is that NAFTA has deepened a multi-layered, very complex relationship. We've talked about some of its economic aspects, about its human aspects, and about its geographic and physical aspects. Um, there's no doubt, as a result of today's um, presentations, that NAFTA has been for the better for both countries. We've heard about the many reasons that that's, that's true. Arguably, this is the most successful bilateral trade relationship ever implemented. It is worth, I think, underlining, though, that NAFTA opened the manufacturing sector of Mexico. Many other sectors, key sectors to the economy, remained closed, and the reforms that have been passed in the first year of the Peña administration are beginning to open some of those sectors that remained closed. Our panelists this morning painted a portrait of how business people and artists have occupied the much larger stage that NAFTA's created. This afternoon, we talked about what's playing on the stage now, and we talked a bit about, in this last panel, coming attractions. What I'd like to do in closing is take a look at some of the figures, as it were, of what's happened over this last 20 years. First of all, we can see that Mexico's exports have grown. Not only have they grown from... Uh, $42.9 billion in 1993 to almost $300 billion in 2013, a nearly seven-time increase. Um, what we see is that at the same time, the percentage of those exports going to the United States have actually declined. Between 1998 and 2004, about 88% of Mexico's exports went to the United States. Last year, 78.8% went to the United States. Obviously, still the most significant trading relationship by a, a large measure, but at the same time trade has grown, it's diversified. It's interesting to note that within this preponderance of exports that go to the Mexican exports that go to the United States, three states account for nearly 63% of those exports. Texas, 36% of, Mex of Mexican exports go to that state. 13.7% of Mexican exports go to Michigan. California receives 13%. The story of growth of imports and diversification of source of imports is true, as it was. Imports are now nearly uh, four times their 1993 level, from $45 billion in 1993 to $187 billion in 2013. 
Um, however, what we see is that between 1995 and 2000, about three quarters of Mexican ex imports came from the United States. Since 2006, it's been about half. Um, Three-fifths of, of imports came from the same three states. Um, of the U.S. imports, 43.8% um, were sent from Texas. California was second with 12.2% and Michigan 4.8%. Not all trade is beneficial. Um, what we know, and this is another one of the elephants in the room, is that there are aspects of the bilateral relationship that are complicated and difficult. I think it's very clear, too, that we've seen cooperation on this front, most recently the capture of El Chapo, um, and that transnational solution problems require transnational solutions. Um, it's as true of trade issues um, and trucking as it is in combating uh, crime. If we look at direct foreign investment, this graph, which runs from 1980 through 2013, makes it very clear just how direct foreign investment took off with NAFTA. In the 20 years before the signing of NAFTA, direct foreign investment in Mexico was $2.2 billion a year on average. The 20 years in which the, the NAFTA has been in force, direct foreign investment has averaged 20 billion dollars a year. Not only has direct foreign investment soared, it's diversified um, in terms of country of origin. We have the figures by country of origin between 1999 and 2013. During that period, U.S. direct foreign investment averaged 48% of total foreign investment in Mexico. But if you divide that 15-year period into two, 1990 9 through 2006, you see that U.S. direct foreign investment in Mexico was 57% of the total, $12.3 billion a year on average, whereas between 2007 and 2013, the last seven years, U.S. direct foreign investment was 40% of the total, um, $10 billion a year on average. Um, if you look at the human face of the relationship, what you see is that fewer Mexicans are coming to the United States. In fact, the Pew Hispanic Center estimates that net migration flows to the United States might even be negative by this point. Um, just as we saw with trade being very concentrated in a certain number, a limited number of states, three, in terms of exports and imports, we see that the Mexican or, or Mexican descent population tends to live in one of five U.S. states. Seven out of ten live in either California, 4.3 million people, Texas, 2.5 million, Illinois, 711,000, Arizona, 524,000, or Georgia, 293,000. What we see here in this area is that there is, the border is its own reality. It's a fascinating mix in here in San Diego. I think you see it very well, perhaps more better than anywhere else in the border. Just how the two cultures merge and enrich each other. Uh, what you see is that 64.5% uh, of all Hispanics in the United States are of Mexican origin. Only 35% of 
Hispanics of Mexican origin in the United States were actually foreign-born. Um, something that will be, I think, very interesting to see going forward is whether or not we can reduce the cost, for example, of publishing books in Spanish, developing software in Spanish, because something that certainly is holding Mexicans, uh, the man in the street back, is the prohibitively high cost of books. It's tough to read when you can't afford it. Um, and also the development of software. Remittances are the economic face of the human flows uh, from, of Mexicans to the United States. As you can see, remittances are quite substantial. Between 2006 and 2008, remittances averaged $25.6 billion a year. Last year, they were $21.6 billion a year. Still very, very substantial, but the heyday is past. One of the things that we see is that the longer an immigrant is in the United States, the less money they tend to send back to their home country. That, I think, is certainly a factor in what's happening now, not to mention the um, downturning in the construction industry in the United States. This is a graph that I think is very telling. Because basically what it tells you is if it weren't for remittances, in some states in Mexico, you wouldn't have very much consumption. Um, this is uh, based on data that was developed by the central bank. It's from 2007, so it's out of date now, but I haven't seen it done since. Essentially, it calculates the remittances as a percentage of the formal wage base by state in Mexico. And what you can see in this graph is that 11 of Mexico's 32 federal entities, in those 11 entities, remittances represent more than half of the wage base in the formal economy. A national average is 24%. So not only do people come to the United States, the money they send back is critical to the well-being of Mexicans. I also thought we should look at tourism briefly. Obviously, not all tourism is with the United States, but given the location of the two countries, it's quite significant. What you can see from this graph is that tourism hasn't had the same robust growth as trade since NAFTA. Um, tourism income in 1993 was $6.2 billion. It was double that, 13, a bit more, $13.8 billion dollars in 2013. In terms of outgoing tourism, outgoing tourism from Mexico, you saw growth as well, $5.6 billion in 93, $9 billion in 2013. Significant, but not like we've seen with trade. If you look at not the income or outflows in monetary terms of tourism, of tourism but at the number of tourists who visit Mexico, what you can see is whether you're talking about incoming tourism into Mexico or outgoing tourism, Mexicans visiting the United States, it's really the day trippers, as it were, the people who go over the border for the day who count. Um, what you see is that the total number of tourists visiting Mexico is down and that the problem really is on the border. In 2013, there were 6.3% percent fewer tourists in terms of numbers who visited Mexico for, uh, than in 1993. If you look at 
um, Mexicans visiting the United States, you see the same kind of thing, except it's even perhaps more dramatic. Um, the total was down um, 21% uh, versus 1993. What we've seen is that in terms of numbers, we topped out uh, around 2,000. Mexico began really opening to the world with NAFTA. It was a dramatic change in the paradigm that governed Mexican policy. It created a much closer bilateral relationship. It created a world-class manufacturing sector in Mexico. In spite of the fact that key sectors of the economy weren't open, and so the manufacturing sector in Mexico had to pay prices for things like telecommunications and financial services that weren't competitive on a worldwide basis. As a result of NAFTA, we have now a competitive regional and also national economies, both in the United States and in Mexico. The integration has been mentioned during the day of production platforms is really the automotive sector was the leading edge in that, but we're seeing it throughout um, the production process for goods. The opening continues. It's an opening that's based, regardless of the presidential administration, be it of pre-origin or pan-origin, based on the principles of commitment to free trade and to macroeconomic stability. Now we're looking west. We're looking at an environment in Mexico in which reforms are being implement, have been passed and will be implemented. Hopefully they will realize their promise, but that will foster competition. The idea is to build on the success of the last 20 years and take it further. I thought it would be interesting to look at Mexico's trade with the Asian TPP partners. What you can see quite briefly is the only way to go is up. If you look at total trade, Mexico's exports to the TPP Asian partners, in 1993, they represented 1.7% of total exports. In 2013, they represented 1.1% of total exports. In terms of imports from the Asian TPP partners, they were 7.1% of Mexico's total imports in 1993, 6.9% in 2013. And in both the case of exports and particularly of imports, they're heavily concentrated. They come almost entirely um, from Japan. So there's a lot of room Uh, for growth. If you look at direct foreign investment, um, the numbers are even more concentrated. Between 1999 and 2013, only 2.7% of total direct foreign investment in Mexico came from the Asian TPP partners. Japan was the source of almost half of that. And of the Japanese direct foreign investment in Mexico, nearly half of it came in 2012 and 2013. In conclusion, I think the bilateral relationship will continue to deepen and to prosper. We will continue to work on the details. It's not particularly exciting. It's not stuff of which headlines are made necessarily. But the idea of harmonization, of compatible standards, of reducing all of those little costly and annoying kinds of impediments to the movement of goods, services, and people between the countries um, are room for for progress. Um, The initiatives that have been discussed in Toluca, the emphasis on education, all of that is 
um, to move forward. I think the opening of the energy sector allows us to consider um, new and innovative ways to use natural resources more efficiently. Borders no longer have to stand in the way of, of best use. Um, we can reduce the times and the costs of border crossing. I think the idea of actually, given the, the extreme sensitivity of the immigration issue in the political system in the United States, the idea that there would be a trusted traveler program that would encompass the three countries, that the United States would recognize Mexico's and Canada's trusted travelers program, is really an important step forward. Areas like the health, like health and sciences, tremendous opportunities. The idea of using the populations on both sides of the border to study the effects of different pharmaceutical products on different genetic populations, using engineering, nursing schools um, located in either country to address the shortages of healthcare professionals that we face. If we could actually allow Social Security to pay for, uh, or Medicare to pay for, for treatments provided in Mexico, we'd open up a whole new area of potential growth um, in Mexico, as well as address a serious issue with, um, in the U.S. budget. Mexico's interests are not those of the United States. They're not always the same as those of the United States. Mexico will pursue her national interest, just as the United States will. Um, but we've got so much in common, and many more interests in common than not. Those interests that are in common will be pursued. I think respect for differences will facilitate reaching agreement. Business is forged ahead. Um, the NAFTA really formalized what was already occurring. The trade flows were happening. The fact that NAFTA was approved really uh, formalized what we saw. It provided certainty about the rules of the game going forward. The movement of goods and people, either literally or imaginatively through films, literature, and art, is an ongoing and an accelerating process on the border. I believe that the question really is whether we want to take full advantage of this dynamic, fluid, creative, living reality or not. In fora like this, on an annual basis and on a daily basis at the U.S.-Mexico um, Center and at IRPS, we are, I think, moving the bilateral, the trilateral, and the multilateral relationship forward. Thank you very much. Thank you, Deborah. At this time, we would like to thank all of our speakers, our panelists, and the moderators, and thank you for being such a great audience. Those of you that joined us online, thank you. And we'd like to thank our sponsors, of course, because otherwise this would not have happened today. Sempra, Simsa, Sunroad Autom Automotive, San Diego Unified Port District, the Institute for International Comparative and Area Studies, the Smart Border Coalition, the Border Legislative Conference, and USED. At this time, we would like to invite you to a closing reception on the patio sponsored by Cerveza Tijuana and Baja California Secretary of Turismo with wine and beer tasting. We hope that you enjoyed Mexico moving forward. Hasta la próxima. 
You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.